unfortunately, there's a layoff window that usually happens and it happens for a lot of these media companies. You see it happen when the economic climate is bad. You see it happen when the business is doing well or not. Why are darts being thrown at Chris Licht because of this? Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, December 2nd, and today Dylan Byers is here to talk about layoffs at CNN, which began this week thanks to a cost-cutting push by Warner Brothers Discovery. Dylan has insight into who will be leaving the network and why, and what it means for CNN's on-air strategy moving forward under President Chris Lick. And later on, Alex Bigler is here for our weekly Friday segment, where we dig into teamwork at Puck and how our great reporters seem to be able to dig up different angles to the same big story. And I embarrass Alex by getting her to admit her top song this year on Spotify Raps. Trust me, it's wild. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of Powers That Be. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Happy Friday, everybody. Dylan Byers is joining me today to talk about CNN. But first, Dylan, I feel like we haven't done our segment in a long time about cocktails. Um, <laughs> what is your go-to holiday drink? Oh, you know, uh, last year I had this one, which I was, and it, it's, I never really got around to mastering it, but it's called a Dean Martin. And it's made by the folks at Death and Company. And it's really, it's got like, I think it's got like pine liqueur and, you know, two different kinds of vermouth and uh, I don't know if it's vodka or gin, but it's basically an elevated martini that sort of has all that winter flair that you would associate with the holidays. I think I think the author of the cocktail referred to it as drinking a martini uh, at the top of a at the top of a mountain. <laughs> Life is hard, Peter. Life is stressful. Uh, there are a lot of responsibilities. So I have this year. I've made my life significantly easier. One is I just lean on your classic gin martini two to one ratio with a twist. And then uh, time allows, I have a little barrel at home and I barrel age my Negronis. Um, Some people do this for the flavor. I just do it because it just makes it all that much easier to just open the tap and get (laughs) get yourself and your guests a drink uh, (laughs) without too much fuss. Well, uh, powers that be, listeners, I made news here. We've now learned that Dylan Byers barrel ages his own Negronis, which is so on brand for you. I love it. Um, Also on brand for you is breaking news about various media companies. On November 4th, my friend, you wrote, uh, broke the news that that, uh, Warner Brothers Discovery was targeting $100 million in cuts at CNN and that layoffs were coming. That suddenly came to pass this week. And yes. other news organizations reported the exact same thing that you reported. So everyone needs to subscribe to Puck so you know the news before the news. First of all, just this level set, why are these layoffs happening? Yeah, well, look, they're 
there are layoffs happening. A, there are layoffs happening across the industry, but most significantly, there are layoffs happening across Warner Brothers Discovery because they've got something like $50 billion in debt. Though I think Chris Licht had initially been given the impression that that the cuts that were happening at that organization would not materially affect CNN, it turns out that they did. You could argue that he was naive for not seeing that that was going to happen at the beginning. Uh, you could say that he was being earnest when he initially told people that he wasn't planning on making cuts. Whatever the case, the circumstances are what they are, and, and the cuts are happening. Look, the philosophy of the folks who run Warner Brothers Discovery, David Zaslav and crew, is that a lot of the Warner Media assets were mismanaged for a long time. And there was a lot of bloat and there were a lot of fiefdoms and there were a lot of too many people. And that there is a much more lean and nimble way to run the organization across the board. I think what many people would say at CNN, you've worked there, I've worked there. There are probably areas where that's true. It's also true two things. One, news is expensive and it requires a lot of investment and a lot of effort. And then two, if you subscribe to the idea that CNN needs to do more than just be a very traditional in-the-box news channel and actually needs to be a media company in its own right with various businesses and various growth engines, a la the New York Times, that you need to be able to make investments. And they're scaling back a lot of those investments and they're, and they're basically whittling it down to the only the essential thing, which is a cable news channel with a website. And as a result, a lot of people lost their jobs this week. Chris Lick sent out this memo and he's actually doing something, I'm not taking credit for this at all, but he's doing something that I have advocated for for a long time, you know, both for editorial reasons and business reasons, which is it seems like a lot of these layoffs so far at least are targeting a lot of paid contributors. And, you know, one reason that the stuff is expensive isn't just that they're paid a lot of money, like there's just like a lot of support around them. I mean, like sometimes they have their own producers, sometimes... I mean, I've used this example a lot. You know, Jeff Zucker paid Jeffrey Lord, who is a pro-Trump stooge, uh, to be a contributor and come on CNN. He also paid for a car service for Jeffrey Lord. The New York Times reported this back in like 2017 or something from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania to Manhattan, which is three hours each way, black car. That is expensive and gets expensive over time. And the flip side of this is especially in politics. Some people are thirstier than others. People are willing to go on TV for free. And that seems to be like an easy place to make some snips. Yeah. What is the rationale for having paid contributors? It is effectively, I would, I would say it's twofold. One is you're ensuring the competition doesn't get those people right. So a really valuable contributor might be a Maggie Haberman if she is breaking news all the time about Trump or what have you. It's really useful to know that she is exclusive to CNN and can't go on MSNBC and can't go on Fox. For the large majority of contributors, one, there's not really a lot of crossover between Fox on the one side and MSNBC and CNN on the other. And if you have to share those people, but you don't have to pay them, is that really so bad when you're when you're talking about sort of second and third tier contributors? And is it really worth the investment? The second thing is that it, it was seen as worth the investment, especially I think in the Jeff Zucker era, because his programming style was really about building up a cast of characters in these contributors who became household names. And much like, I, I think, you know, the world of wrestling, 
Maybe a lot of people really hated what Jeffrey Lord had to say, but hating what he had to say was part of the experience of watching CNN and perhaps loving what a Bakari Sellers or a David Axelrod or somebody else had to say was part of the experience of loving CNN. And you knew who these people were and you sort of like had your person who you liked and you had your person who you hated. That's not really the philosophy at CNN anymore. It's not about the cast of characters. It is about that more traditional news product. And, you know, the contributors, we've got the ones we know who are the household names that we know from election night. But there are all these sort of contributors who touch on specialty areas who CNN doesn't really feel like they need to have on retainer just in in the event that they want to do one story on, say, climate or one story on personal finance or one story on health, you know, And, and therefore these people are viewed as sort of expendable. And you're right. Most of the time, a person who has a contributor gig believes that cable news provides them with a platform to further their own brand or their own reputation and will probably come back for free so long as CNN is willing to send a car. So this also needs to be put in context. According to your reporting, Dylan, you know, a lot of people at CNN are cranky about this and throwing darts at Chris Licht and blaming him. Um, CNN did layoffs in 2014. Um, I think they started a layoff in 2014, cutting about 10% of the workforce. Um, I believe they did a layoff at some point between 2005 and 2014 when I was working there uh, before Jeff Zucker. Yes. And these layoffs feels like they have a tendency to hit in the little lull between presidential elections. Totally. So, totally. Uh, you know, a network, CNN's a great example cable network will make a lot of money during a presidential election because there's lots of eyeballs and advertisers are paying a lot of money and they make a lot of money. And then like two years later, you got a little slump. So yeah, like the last time layoffs began was 2014. That was a midterm year. Now it's 2020 midterm year, you know, like, and and hopefully more eyes tune back into CNN once the next presidential election gets underway. It is cyclical. There is an off season. Uh, There's a trade window that's open or or more unfortunately, there's a layoff window that usually happens and happens for a lot of these media companies. You see it happen when the economic climate is bad. You see it happen when there has been a leadership or an ownership change. And then certainly you see it happen sort of cyclically with when the business is doing well or not, which in cable news often has to do with election cycles. Why are darts being thrown at Chris Licht because of this? One, it is that there were all of these things, which I spent sort of six months reporting on leading up to the the layoffs that did not inspire confidence, did not um, engender trust and left a lot of people who were already feeling adrift and leaderless after Jeff Zucker's ouster did nothing to sort of to sort of shore up their support. And so everything was primed. Everyone was already teetering on the edge when he announced these layoffs that he had already said earlier he was not going to announce. Is Chris like the only person laying people off in media? No. Is this the first time people at CNN have ever been laid off in big numbers? Absolutely not. Were the circumstances such that he didn't handle this the right way, I would say, I would argue that, yes, he did not handle this the right way. And he was dealing with an already suspicious, restive, frustrated audience in in, in the employees. Okay, Dylan, enjoy your weekend and enjoy your pine fragranced martinis (laughs) if you make them. (laughs) The Dean Martin. (laughs) Peter, enjoy whatever you're drinking. All right, buddy. Thank you. All right, my man. When we come back, Alex Bigler is here with her Friday segment all about pot. 
Welcome back, everybody. I'm joined by Alex Bigler, who frequently appears in the B Block on Friday for a little Friday segment. How you doing? Whoa, I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. We were just talking about our mutual vinyl collections uh, before getting on, and yours. Uh, everyone listening should know that Alex Bigler has an insanely impressive <laughs> record collection <laughs> that goes back to her childhood. Um, so mm-hmm. respect. Anyway, Alex, how are you? I'm great. When we spin off our own podcast called like the Tunage That Be or something, we can we can talk all about our record collections. No, I'm good. Um, so I had like an out of body experience last week. I'm fortunate enough to be hiring for my team, which I'm which I'm really excited about. And I was interviewing someone last week, and he said to me. I just have to say before we get started, you're probably the most famous person to ever interview me because I listen to the powers that be every weekday. And like, I listened to you today. And I basically had to like cancel the interview. I was too stunned. I didn't know what to say. Um, So we do have some uh, like really, really happy listeners out there. So I wanted to, to share that with you. Well, hopefully that person will be happy if they get hired. And if not, I wish you further happiness, even without us, if you don't get hired, whoever you are, person that thinks Alex Bigler is famous. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's right. I am famous now that I'm going to know that everyone who works with me is going to have to deal with my huge ego going forward. Another kind of fun thing that we that we got from someone this week that wrote in was also about the podcast. So I'm thrilled with all the great feedback we've been getting. Someone said that they really, really value this segment because it really lets us into how Puck listens to its users and improves the experience. It's a look behind the curtain that you usually do not hear from traditional media. And I think that that's, you know, what we've always said we're trying to do with with Puck, with the podcast, with this segment, with everything. So it's great. I feel like we've talked about this and I've talked about that with John. Puck was launched with various missions in mind. One was to sort of pull back the curtain on what's really going on in, in these power centers and not in a way that's just like you're, we're saying it. We're actually giving you what, what people talk about in the green room. Two was to create a new business model. But three, like as part of both of those things, was like restoring a kind of trust with news audiences. I mean, trust is broken uh, with the media. Uh, and we ha- I, I do think we have a direct relationship in part because we, you know, we have emails that go out. You can respond directly to those things. People email me all the time. We're not afraid to like spill the beans on how media and the media business really work. And there's not like any sort of phoniness uh, going on in our conversations, I feel like. So that's really nice to hear. Yeah, even down to when you're emailing Fritz, you're getting a real person who's writing back. I, I say this all the time when I talk to you about it, but I think people are shocked when a real human being writes back. And that's that's what's going on with every aspect of Puck is just real people building this thing. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about an observation that I made this week, actually, with with another new person on on my team. We have a new social media manager on our team, which I'm super excited about. And as we were looking at the scope of work that we've done in the last two weeks and how to think about, you know, the how to post the different journalists' work, et cetera, she was asking me, you know, we have a, a lot of stuff on Sam Bankman Freed, or we have a lot of articles on Bob Iger. How do I think about pulsing them? How are they different, et cetera? Which really made me take a step back and think about that's something that's so interesting about what our model is, is yes, we are writing about similar areas or similar people or the same person, but we're writing about it from so many different 
perspectives and different areas of expertise. And I wanted to get your perspective of, you know, when you're talking to Teddy followed by Bill on the podcast, how does that, um, how does that play into how you talk to them about, about the topics that they're covering? I mean, everyone has different backgrounds and there's certainly like overlap in a lot of the stories we cover. I mean, Bob Iger is a good example. I've interviewed Dylan and Matt about these things and, you know, a good distinction between them is like, I want to ask Dylan about it because he's been immersed in sort of the different streamers and how they're battling each other. And he would have perspective on Disney and Disney Plus. And then Matt has like the inside, inside gossip on what's going on in the town hall. And so with SPF, Sam Bakeman freed one of the first times I interviewed Bill about FTX and, and the collapse of crypto and all this stuff is he's got so much experience covering these huge like Wall Street slash economic scandals. And so, you know, I was like, how much is this like Lehman Brothers? Like, where does it rank? Whereas Teddy, you know, who covers philanthropy, but has also talked to Sam Bakeman freed like a bunch and like has covered him and his influence on democratic politics. I mean, there's just like all of our reporters are so good at peeling back a different layer of the same story. I mean, like the Biden administration was considering pulling back funding to Ukraine. Like Tara would also have insight on how Congress is approaching that, you know? So like, that's just how reporting works. So I wanted to ask you that because, you know, you're interviewing the journalists on the podcast and pulling it out of them. And then the flip side for that for me is how our readers consume the information that we're giving them. And I just think what's so interesting from what I've experienced as a reader myself and heard from our subscribers is, you know, you might be in Hollywood or D.C. and not necessarily think that if you're in D.C. that the Bob Iger story matters to you and what you're doing, but it's actually the ramifications of what does that mean in Wall Street? What does that actually mean as it thinks about is he going to, you know, acquire more things? Maybe it does have to do with what you care about in D.C., that even if we're covering the same topic multiple times, they're from such different perspectives and such different depths of knowledge that is really valuable to our subscribers. And so I'm thinking about that in terms of, you know, we have an inner circle call this week with Teddy Schleifer and Eric Gardner both talking about Sam Bankman-Fried, but talking about it from completely different angles um, and covering it in a really well-rounded way. So yeah, Eric has written about the like lawsuit against Tom Brady and Larry David, who endorsed FTX. So like he's got all the legal scoops on that story. Um, you know, I'm unbiased, but I would support. I am generally supportive of any lawsuit against Tom Brady. So I I, I would jump on that inner circle <laughs> call and ask that question. Well, anyway, Peter, we have a lot coming down the pike. We've got a lot of planning coming for 2023. I'm excited to bring some of them to you in the next couple of weeks and let people know what we're up to. Um, but this is really what I wanted to, to share with you today and share with our listeners. So unless uh, unless we want to talk about Depeche Mode, I think, uh, I think I'll bid you adieu. Let me ask you this. Did you look at your Spotify rap yet? I haven't because I, I don't know. I'm too nervous. What do you, have you looked at yours? Yeah, yeah. I'm proud of mine. Um, my top song was a song by um, a dude named, uh, well, the band is called Dope Lemon. Uh, and he's got a bunch of albums. But my top song was a song by him called Rose Pink Cadillac. It's very cool. And my top band was Krangbin for the second year in a row, actually. Um, but that could also be because I listened to them like ambiently, like in my house a lot. 
they're just like good for a variety of situations. So I just pulled mine up. My top song from 2022 is the Imperial March from Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) That's weird. Yeah, it is weird. It's because that's how I wake up every morning is I play the Imperial March and that's my alarm, how I get up. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, well, that explains it. (laughs) And then um, Hootie and the Blowfish is really high up there as well. So I I have some soul searching I think I need to do. I am not opposed to revisiting sort of mid-90s rock music like that. Um, You know, I also celebrate anyone from Columbia, South Carolina. So... Shout out to Hootie and the Blowfish and Darius Rucker. All right, I'll go through this and I'll give you I'll give you more of my even more embarrassing after. Great. Thanks, Alex. Have a good weekend. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. You can visit us at puck.news and on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 